Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 48, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today we're getting winter whitetail habitat tips from Jeff Sturgis, so stay tuned. What is up, gang? You are listening to Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 48. Uh, welcome back to the show. Today, we are we are, bringing, we are taking something that was once old and making it new again during today's show. Um, if you missed it on Facebook, I did a Facebook Live kind of announcing the most recent podcast that was launched with Mike Perry and took that opportunity to kind of make mention that we were going to be launching or relaunching the DIY report. Uh, for those of you who listened throughout the fall, we did the DIY report. It was a uh, every other week show uh, that we did that was, uh, I guess, what you would consider to be on the off weeks when John and I didn't do our longer format typical show. And that show during the fall was really geared toward getting information that folks were seeing during hunting season in the timber out to folks who are listening to the podcast. So, you know, for instance, you might be living in New York. We'd have a guy come on from New York and say what he's seen in the timber and give you kind of an update. The plan for that show was always to kind of take that, and that was kind of the pilot run to see how it would work and, and stuff like that. And the plan all along was to take it and, and create a DIY report that would kind of run throughout the year. And this is the the launching of that. So the goal of this show really is to give you guys out there listening and no a no bullshit approach to information I think that a lot of us as hunters are looking for and habitat managers and DIY hunters and public land hunters and you know you, you just you know name the name the category um, you know where I kind of came up with the idea or what the genesis of it was really was I was listening to some different podcasts and picking up some information and, and certain topics you know are just um, how, how do I say it there's a lot of information to cover and when you get into an hour to an hour and a half long podcast and you cover as many facets of a particular topic in that hour to an hour and a half it's it's a very immersive conversation but a lot of times for me at least and I'm, i'm assuming other people out there probably feel the same way what i heard at the beginning of the podcast by the time i got to the end of it i've already kind of forgotten so especially for things that are meant to build on top of each other concepts that you're supposed to kind of put together as time goes on 
um, I really kind of felt like it, it was doing me a little bit of a disservice. Um, you know, so that was kind of where I came up with the idea, you know, that and the notion that people typically learn things whenever they have smaller bite-sized pieces of information. So my idea was, you know, why don't we take these larger concepts or ideas of whether it's habitat or how to shoot a bow or, you know, whatever the case is, some things that are kind of have some intricate pieces and let's take these into, you know, break them out into logical kind of chunks that are easy to digest and learn. And that way we can actually give you information that is actionable for you at that moment in time that someone could actually take and use. So that's what the goal of this show is. So we'll have a few of these going through the rest of the year and we'll, we'll be referring to them as the DIY mini series. And first up, uh, since we're just fresh off the season, I thought a good approach would be to have someone on who we know is an habitat expert, because this is the time of year for any of those of us who have you know a, a lease or access to private property or property that we can do some habitat management. This is the time when you really want to start to plan out um, your process for making your habitat updates. You know, and in starting with you know what we want to do is kind of go from winter into spring, into summer, and then ultimately into fall. And so today's episode is really focusing on what type of habitat updates you should be thinking of making right now. Uh, So what is the work you should be considering doing in the next few weeks? But then also, what are the things you should be thinking about that's going to give you good habitat for the winter season? So that is the conversation we're going to have with Jeff. And with that no bullshit approach, we're going to go, go ahead and just jump right into it. But before we do that, let's take a quick moment to talk about our partners uh, and make mention of those folks who help us make this podcast happen. So Wicked Tree Gear, of course, you guys know that I love the saw, love their products, the longest lasting, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you've ever used. Simply put the toughest saws on earth. If you're heading to the Harrisburg Outdoor Show, uh, John will be there for a handful of days and you can you should be able to go to Lancaster Archery and pick up any of their uh, any of their products and probably be able to lay your hands on possibly and see some of the new products as the uh, the the beast and the uh, pro blade so be sure to check those out then of course exodus outdoor gear life's a passion pursue it these guys are rad i'll be at their booth uh this coming weekend uh or actually it'll be after or before you guys will have listened to this but don't uh don't forget that they'll be there the following weekend i believe it's february 9th so if you've missed the first weekend of the outdoor show, you can head over there the second weekend. Excess uh, Outdoor Gear will be there. They'll have a booth. So head over there and check those guys out. They have awesome cameras. they got the new Trek camera that just came out. They'll be selling the Lift 2 in booth. Uh, and then they'll have a bunch of accessories that you can pick up too. And if, if you happen to miss them in both instances, you can head to excessoutdoorgear.com uh, and check out uh, their gear there and, 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 and pick anything up. And then use the promo code TRUTH and save yourself some cash. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this party rolling and talk with Jeff Sturgis about... Winter Whitetail Habitat. All right, we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And as I'd mentioned on the upfront, we're doing things a little differently here with the DIY report, bringing that back. And today we have the one, the only, Jeff Sturgis from Whitetail Habitat Solutions joining us today. How are you doing, Jeff? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, really nice to be back, Clint. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you. Jeff's, uh, for those out there listening, Jeff is en route to... Uh, help, if I'm not mistaken, work on some client properties. So this is the perfect time to be talking about Habitat. Yes, yes. I'm actually uh, in lower Michigan right now, and I have uh, five clients in six days, and that's kind of the normal schedule every month for 10 months out of the year. And uh, so I'll be out in Habitat here pretty soon. And so this is a real good lead-in for winter Habitat. Nice. Yeah, so today what we want to do, folks, is we're going to be talking about winter Habitat specifically. The idea here is that, you know, there's 
some very specific things we think you could probably be doing or thinking about as you're getting ready to make your plans for for 2018. And a lot of time that starts with you know your your habitat preparation if you own property or if you lease property, and kind of break this down into bite sized sections. That way we can get some actionable information to you guys and hopefully something you guys can kind of take forward and implement into your own properties or just even kick around at, at camp for for fodder and talk. So to get this thing started, Jeff, you know what are you focusing on as far as habitat updates are concerned during the winter? You know what are the kind of things are you are you you first going into like assessment and property evaluation mode or how do you kind of start that process well i know there's a couple different things this is winter time is when my client visits start they actually start in december so we're walking property and one of the things that really is glaring is uh you know a great fall habitat property is typically a great winter habitat property and the reason i say that is winter really largely focuses around wintertime browse Uh, not everyone can afford or has resources to plant huge um, food pots of beans or corn. But winter browse is actually what deer are looking for during the wintertime. And, and a lot of times when you're creating winter browse, you're creating a winter cover. Mm-hmm. And so my own activities, I'm looking at these on properties and then I'm making recommendations. And um, the wintertime is, is great for cutting, uh, checking out your deer browse, and of course, really getting in and scouting out your bedding areas. Um, Right after that, I was just in my bedding areas uh, on, on a couple of different properties that I hunt and manage on my own. And, and it's a great time to go look at the bedding areas. You're not spooking any deer. We're three weeks after the season in, in Wisconsin. And, um, and really what you do now and really what you do through into the, into the middle of summer, you're not going to hurt your deer hunting season at all. So I encourage people to really get out. And if they've made bedding areas, check them out, see how the deer are using them, relating to them, see if they have old rubs, new rubs, uh, what's going on with the bucks and what they think they should be going. And if, and if they don't have good use out of the bedding areas, um, what can you do differently? And maybe even just thinking about creating bedding areas in the first place, because this is a great time to not only assess bedding areas, but actually work on them too. Right. So when you mentioned cutting, are you specifically kind of talking about hinge cutting? Yes. Yeah. And, and not just hinge cutting, you know, there's a huge variety of timber on the lands that I go to on, even on my own land. And so on some parcels, you're looking for a timber harvest, a select cut, uh, select, um, cut. on uh, others, you're looking for clear cut pockets. And then on a portion of the lands, and I'd say 30% of the, the parcels, then hinge cutting is, is highly appropriate. All right, folks, we're back. Sorry of a little technical technical difficulties here on my end. But Jeff, I wanted to ask you, I was watching a video of yours um, that you were you were making some travel corridors and there you, you kind of went through and kind of d- explained how you kind of go about making these travel corridors, whether you're in big wood settings or whether you're in more compact, you know, heavy agricultural settings with smaller blocks of timber. Can you kind of explain what that is and the theory behind it? Yes. Um, now, first off, when I'm creating travel corridors, a lot of times we're hinge cutting. Um, that's you know, if you have trees that are in that five, six, seven inch diameter range and less, then you're hinge cutting. I like to make waist high hinge cutting because what you're really trying to do is make that deer feel comfortable within that travel corridor and at the same time offer browse. In order to do that, that browse needs to be at head level, um, head level to the deer. And then um, also the cover needs to be at head level. And so a lot of times I see uh, land managers starting those cuttings up at, at our head high, six foot high, five foot high. And you're really not adding any cover, especially when it gets into November and December, because the deer can see right under them. And then at the same time, all that browse is starting at six feet and going up, and the deer can't reach it. Now, when you when we're creating travel corridors in, say, northern Ohio, southern Michigan, northern Indiana, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, areas that don't have a lot of cover, 
and you had, you're working with 20 acre woodlots, 10 acres, and you're trying to fit a lot of deer in those areas, deer used to be jammed into small places. And so in those areas, you can make those travel corridors pretty tight, um, you know, two feet wide and lots of brush on both sides. And, and they can feel like they're fairly constricted. Now, when you get up in the UP of Michigan, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, even the big woods of, say, Kentucky and the Rolling Hills, or even in Pennsylvania, those deer, and sometimes they're, they're uh, fewer in number, they're used to a lot of space. And so in those areas, you're, you want to be able to basically be able to drive an ATV through those travel corridors or even larger. Um, and you can imagine up in some of those northern settings where you have predators, those deer do not want to be in a constricted tunnel where they can't escape in any direction, you know, every 20, 30 feet. And, um, and they, they do not want to feel like they're cornered by those predators. They become little predator trails. So I've seen areas like that where clients have made uh, cuttings that are just so tight that really deer just completely go around them. Right. And I know you, you mentioned uh, browse and, and, and hinge cutting there. We talked about just for a, a brief second. But what do you think yeah. you know, is, is the most important habitat element or structures to have in place for good winter habitat? What, is it, what do you prioritize for the winter? Um, really, hardwood regeneration is really important for deer. Um, that's something that they'll eat the uh, tips and buds of all the woody shoots. Um, could be different shrub varieties, but especially um, uh, briars. Briars are a really good winter food source. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so just looking at a natural setting, you know, a lot of times I'm looking at more of natural habitat cuttings and improvements to take care of the winter herd. And I'm hoping the food plots that define daily movement during the hunting season, especially, and set up that pattern of use. Um, you know, it'd be great if they would last till January, February, March. But a lot of my clients are working with my average client is 100 acres, and roughly 40 to 50 percent of my clients have 60 acres or less. And in fact, my properties that I hunt on are uh, 45 acres less, three of them. Right. And so we're looking at you just don't have a lot of resources for a huge amount of food plot space, and so you have to be very efficient with your food plot acres. But then at the same time, I uh, really need to turn to other sources, which would be no, more natural in the form of uh, woody regeneration, woody browse. And sometimes uh, CRP mixes where you have various grasses and forbs and forages in offer a good winter uh, food source that the deer can dig down to it. But really focusing on those natural browse uh, components. And, you know, if you can have the thermal properties of uh, switchgrass, which is the only grass that's going to stand during the wintertime, and then also uh, conifers. Then you could have that perfect mix of woody regeneration, thermal properties, deer cover, places where they can get out of the wind, and then also have that daytime browse that they can enjoy. Right. It's the theme here. I know, you know, we've talked on, on the, on the podcast and we've talked off the podcast and it's like, and I know you're a big fan of just, you know, natural as much as you can do from a natural perspective is probably, you know, the, the, the best bet, of course, you know, um, it's what the deer are used to. And, and, and it seems to be the most, uh, it's, it's the most uh, convenient or efficient for your pocketbook in, in many ways. But if, if you had to prioritize, you know, from a food plot perspective as a supplement, right. Cause I know just based on what you said, we're really, looking for mother nature to kind of help us out here um with the with the winter food and as you mentioned a variety of ways you can put that stuff on the ground for them um but what type of food plot would you prioritize for the winter if you were going to get something that was going to be supplemental to your to your natural browse well speaking of limited acreage um you know i'd love to have standing beans or corn but often for example on my properties of 45 acres 50 acres and under I'm working with three acres of food at the most on those properties. And so about eight acres total between the three properties. So I can't afford to put beans and corn in because they're going to be gone sometime in November, maybe even before within the case of the beans. And so I'm really looking for a, a 
highly diverse green base. And, and I know we're going to talk about that in some other segments in the fall segment or summer, but I'm really looking to have an efficient, small amount of food that lasts into the wintertime. And so with uh, green winter rye is an awesome uh, food source we can talk about for the spring too, but any kind of warm up, any kind of snow melt, that green uh, forage is available. And I like to layer it so it's very thick and then also brassica. So on all my plots, I have a combination of various types of cereal grains like winter rye, oats, which are browned out by December, January, and then winter rye, which stays green all winter long along with the winter wheat. So between that, and then I'll have peas and uh, sometimes late, late planted beans, but those are all gone. And so really what you're left with during the wintertime is whatever's green, which includes the winter wheat and the winter rye, and then also a good brassica plant. Right. Interesting. Any, uh, do you ever, ever, you know, um, I guess use any types of, you know, beets or turnips or anything with a, that, that's, uh, you know, has a bulb for them to kind of paw up? Yeah. And that's, that's what I refer to with a brassica plant. Okay. That whole family is, includes, uh, turnips. And I like, uh, both, uh, say a purple top turnip that less than one pound per acre because you don't want to take over the field. And then also seven top turnip or forage turnips which puts a lot more effort into the actual forage and green leaf than the bulb. And then also, of course, radish. Mm-hmm. Radishes I really like, uh, tillage radish in the mix. And then also, um, uh, trying to think of the other ones, turn and rape. Mm-hmm. So there's various forms. I don't like dwarf Essex rape because they don't call it dwarf for not, nothing. There's, right. there's really not a lot to it right. compared to some of the uh, more deer-specific varieties. But if you're getting that combination of rape, turnip, and then radishes um, on the land, then you're going to have a good mix of bulbs and a lot of green top um, to last through the season. Right, nice. Yeah, just it sounds really, you know, in, in addition to the to the natural browse, it's, you really want to kind of provide them a, a buffet that's going to be kind yeah. of hitting at different times of the year, I think is kind of the theme that I'm hitting, or at the different stages yeah. of the year, they're going to have something as supplement. Right. Uh, um, and that, it, real, that winter browse is really important. You know, I'm looking for the food pots to, to really direct traffic and set up the property movement for the entire fall. And then you have that carryover into the winter. And then that's when you really start to focus on natural. But natural during the, during the winter, you really need natural during the fall, too, so that um, the deer have actually browsed during their bedding areas, during uh, which they need to feed on twice during the daytime hours um, in their bedding areas. And so that browse is critical to have, or you're just not going to have deer that want to bed in those locations during right. the fall. So I wanna, I'm sorry. Uh, I want to, I wanted to move to, no, I had this one circled cause I want to say that I don't know that I've, I don't know that you and I've ever had a conversation that switchgrass didn't come up and you'd mentioned it, you mentioned it earlier and I know you're a big fan of switchgrass. Yeah. So I want yeah. to talk just a little bit how you like to use it and what it contributes to in terms of, in terms of winter habitat. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. It's uh, a really important grass habitat that's easy to establish on parcels. And what I like about switchgrass, it is, especially in the northern northern states, northern meaning New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, over to Iowa, Missouri, and on up into the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, 
um, it is the only grass that's going to stand up to a northern winter. Hmm. So big blue stem, little blue stem, Indian grass, by the time it gets into January, February, it could just be laying flat. And if it's laying flat in December and January, then it really didn't do anything for your wildlife herd that was important in, or wildlife population that was important. And the reason I say that is, you know, it's not just about the deer too. You have deer cover and then rabbit cover, pheasant cover. And if all that cover is gone during the wintertime, then where do those wildlife populations go? Right. And so it's really important to have that, that switchgrass that stands all, all winter long. And at the same time, you know, everyone looks at switchgrass as a bedding mix and it is a bedding variety. But at the same time, the switchgrass is not a food source. And so kind of like conifers, whether it's red cedar, spruce, pine, um, you really deer have to have forage within that cover. So switchgrass is a base cover. I like planting it pure and strong and tall. Uh, most of the areas we're using uh, cave and rock switchgrass. And it, it grows six, seven feet tall, very thick. And I want that, let's say we're going to plant it in an old field and, and take over and create deer habitat. You can implant that in about 40, 50% of the, of the entire field, basically surrounding the field. And then also creating pockets within that switchgrass of early successional growth in the form of broadleaf. So I actually take a grass-specific herbicide, kill off the switchgrass, or just don't plant those areas and kill out any other grass because, again, that's not equal in any food. All those pockets, which total 40, 50, 60 percent in that switchgrass field and scattered, would uh, basically create broadleaf and uh, woody rootstock growth that would, would have offer daytime browse for the deer. So when you have that switchgrass that grows appreciable and can reach full growth, six, seven feet, two years, uh, two, two growing summers, and, uh, and then it surrounds all that browse, it's a perfect combination of quick, high impact cover, thermal cover but at the same time offering browse the deer during their bedding hours can feed twice during the day because deer feed five times in a 24-hour period. That's twice during the nighttime, uh, twice during the uh, daytime bedding hours, and then once in the afternoon uh, food source movement, which we'll talk about later. But that's that's the most important feeding of the day, but really have to have that food in their bedding areas, and that's what that browse does. A lot of times before, you can spread box elder seeds, maple seeds, allow it to grow into early successional growth, goldenrod, ragweed, Maybe some clovers, alfalfa, they'll pop in there, but it's all that good daytime browse that deer need surrounded by such grass. So really great one-two punch. Yeah. Um, you can easily convert a field into and I, I have a field, I have some uh, videos on YouTube, but the, the field we work on a lot, it uh, hasn't been agged in since the 1950s. And wow. it's still just, a, it's still a field of goldenrod ragweed and no cover out there. And so we're slowly adding switchgrass pockets and lines of on benches and flat spots within the valley so that we can actually start offering some structure out there to, structure out there to hold uh, wildlife. Yeah, it was interesting because I had watched that video, um, and you and I were talking at ATA, and we were you know talking about switchgrass, and I actually watched that video whenever I got home because um, it's similar to the property that my dad has where they're like, there's, there's a few open fields. It's a you know almost a 60-acre property, and those two fields really – they don't do a whole lot for the hunting. Uh, we are going to put some food plots in this year, but like you just mentioned, like there, there needs to be some structure to those fields that way there's some type of patternable, you know, travel, you know, highways, if you, if you will, or corridors that they'll, that they'll follow based on the structure that we provide sure. them through switchgrass. The other part of it too, is that some of the best hunting spots, at least from my Intel for this year are near those fields 
but they're really hard to get into because there is no there's there's no uh, there's no cover for me to be able to get into a stand location. I'm kind of out in the open. So part right. of it too is providing right. some type of screening for me. Um, so after watching that video, it's I've been kind of called called the old man. I said, hey, I think we need to think about some switchgrass. <laughs> yeah, and it's the one, the great thing about switchgrass is it's it grows just about anywhere. It's not real soil or pH or fertility specific. Um, the only thing bad about it is that, you know, it grows great it, in two summers. It can grow to a full height of six, seven feet, very thick. But the bad thing about it is it's very susceptible to weed pressure. And so if you don't elim- eliminate the weed growth and really are diligent about that, then, uh, it can easily be overtaken. So that's the, the main failure I see with switchgrass is that, you know, fairly easy to plant. I cross seeding on open soil, even in, uh, old ag fields is a great practice in February, March. Um, but you really need to control with chemicals. I recommend uh, cinnazine, uh by the mid to late March. That's a pre-emergent. And then switchgrass will not germinate until soil temperature is about 58 degrees, which is right around the temperature of corn. Mm. And that's not till, um right around June uh, for, for most areas that we're talking about. And so you can get actually a couple sprays of glyphosate in mid-April, mid-May. Uh, which will not kill the switchgrass before it's emerged and germinated. So you can really control the weeds effectively, but you have to do it. You can't skimp on uh, weed control or you're not going to have a switchgrass. Nice. That's uh, making, I'm making a note actually on a piece of paper now to uh, make sure that I do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I have, I have that videos and blogs and articles, all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's, there's some, there's some information out there to follow up too if people want to. Right. And so uh, to wrap up the uh, winter habitat planning section, let's get just a, a couple tips for uh, Jeff Sturgis tips for assessing uh, a winter plan and winter habitat. Well, first, uh, I'd really get in there and scout those bedding areas. Um, a lot of um, landowners are making deer beds and bedding areas, buck bedding areas. And, um, and it's really important to get in there and just see how those deer are relating to it. You're going to see some patterns that develop um, of why they're using them in some areas and not others. And then, of course, you know, really trying to enhance on those uh, practices that are working and applying to the rest of your parcel. And if you don't have bedding areas, this is a great time to get out and start cutting, uh, putting some lumber on the ground, maybe some hinge cuts, uh, getting some planning for some regeneration in the spring. But then at the same time, putting some browse on the ground for the deer right now. And so really take an assessment of your bedding areas. If you are going to put some switchgrass and some idle ag fields um, that you're converting to deer habitat, uh, February and March is also a great time to uh, frost seed um, into that, and even on a skim of snow, and, uh, and expect good switchgrass growth this summer if you control the weed pressure. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Tips from Jeff Sturgis. The guy knows what he is doing, uh, so I'd make sure to follow his advice here on the winter habitat planning. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on and sharing uh, some of your tips for winter habitat planning. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Clint. Uh, always, always enjoy talking. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Jeff for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to head over to whitetailhabitatsolutions.com and check out Jeff's blog. He's got a bunch of great articles Anything you could possibly imagine under the sun for whitetail habitat uh, uh, information and, and knowledge. So be sure to check that out. If you'd like to take a little deeper dive, uh, Jeff has written a couple books that I highly recommend. I've actually read a couple of them. Whitetail Success by Design, I highly recommend. 
uh, mature buck success by design and food plot success by design. So be sure to check those out if you're looking for a deeper dive in the type of information Jeff was sharing. Also want to make sure to give a big thank you to all of you out there who are listening. And if you haven't yet, if it's not too much to ask, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and, uh, and subscribe to the podcast to make sure it shows up on your mobile device each and every week. And we'd be super appreciative if you would do those two things. So thank you very much. Uh, before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. So a big thank you to Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Tecamani Seed, and Glacier Coolers. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Rationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.